Hello and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and uh, thanks to C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV. This is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self-lead others. My guest today is Jennifer Eggers, author of Resilience, It's Not About Bouncing Back, co-authored with Cynthia Barlow and founder of Leadership Insights, focused on building adaptive leadership and alignment at some of the most recognized brands in the world. Welcome, Jennifer Eggers. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm so excited. I was checking out you know, your website and the other episodes, and I'm just, I can't wait to get your book. I'm really interested. Um, and, and I could, I think we share, have a lot in common in terms of what we share. So I'm really yes. interested in learning more about your work as well. Thank you so much. Well, I I I I noticed that we're we're both speakers and uh, and and keynote speakers and 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 workplace trainers uh, or facilitators. So uh, very much uh, on the same wavelength. And of course, um, resilience is definitely an, a topic, an issue, a theme that that managers are are focusing on. Because I noticed with your book, which is behind me and behind you. Uh, how to uh, resilience is not about bouncing back. And, and what is it? How leaders and their organizations can build resilience before disruption hits. And boy, didn't disruption hit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that you say that. Um, the book came out actually about uh, four, four or six months-ish before COVID. And so I think if I had it to do all over again, um, I've spent the last two years convincing people that you can build resilience in the midst of disruption. <laughs> and so I think I might change that subtitle if That's I had right. it to do you all You can always change a subtitle. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Call it the next edition. <laughs> right. So, exactly. So our audience is, is mainly uh, le- leaders, middle managers, and emerging and aspiring leaders. So it's really for anybody working in, in, a, in the workplace. And right, right towards the back of the book, I mean, mostly the book is, is about how to create your own resilience, but, but I thought I'd start with creating a resilient team mindset because the, web, the podcast is called Manage Self, Lead Others, and the manage self is fine. As long as you're doing it, right? You're focused on it. So if you're a manager focused on self-leadership, how do you encourage your team members to have the same value, place the same value on on self-leadership and creating their own sense of resilience? Well, the exciting thing about resilience, and you know, I had to learn a few things uh, when I started researching, you know, and speaking about resilience. I did a little bit of research. And one of the really interesting things to me was that the characteristics of resilient people and resilient organizations are the same. And so the big aha moment for me was when I figured that out, what that means is that if we can teach individuals to be more resilient and we can really master that um, as a mechanism of training, we can do the same thing and use those same skills to build resilient teams and organizations. 
So that to me, I think was, you know, the really thrilling part. So the book's divided into two parts. The first is, you know, the individual piece, but everything in that section can be replicated to build a resilient team. Sometimes we use different language. You know, what might be your core beliefs or your faith personally turns into your mission or your values or your principles as an organization. So sometimes the language changes and the book talks about that. But really, the effort involved is the same. And of course, you 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 talk about resilience not being the same as coping. Can you explain how resilience is not the same as coping? Absolutely. And I, I think that's particularly relevant right now and maybe even in the, you know, as we look at the last couple of years and what we've been dealing with is that, you know, this environment has just thrown everybody into a tailspin in many ways and people, people are coping, right? They have to just kind of get through it. You're working more hours, you're getting Zoom fatigue, you're, you know, you're just dealing with this situation with kids at home and, um, you know, pets coming, walking across your background and whatever, Um, you know, and so I think when we, when we are immediately hit with disruption, we go into sort of this fight or flight or what I'll even call survival mode, where it's like, we just have to steal ourselves to get through a situation um, until we can kind of get comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that is absolutely an appropriate response but it's not resilience. So, and the, what resilience really is, is about being energized and elevated by disruption. And so when you are truly resilient, when disruption happens, you, um, you have a plan for dealing with it. It's almost like an insurance policy. So a corporation that's resilient, you know, when a disruption happens, they, they don't have to debate and argue and wonder what's gonna happen. They just jump into action because they've already planned for what's going to happen. So what that means is that you can learn from these iterations of disruption and you can actually get better at it. So the disruption makes us better. We come out of it, we're energized because we dealt with it, we figured it out and we're on to next, we're going to use that lesson. That doesn't feel a lot like what many of us are going through right now. Um, And so what I, what I I guess the point is that in situations where coping is called for, cope by all means, right? You do what you got to do to get through. But what we want to try to do is build the resilience so that when you you really need it and this disruption keeps hitting you and hitting you, you're prepared for it. And of course, uh, in in Zen stories, they have this saying: when something happens, just say, "Is that so?" It's like you don't have to catastrophize and go, woe is me, the sky is falling in. Just go, right, and reflect and think about what is what is going to be your reaction rather than knee-jerk reaction. Is that right? That is, yeah, that's a super analogy. And I didn't realize that was a Zen philosophy. So thank you for that. Um, but, you know, as I look at sort of there's three characteristics of resilient people and organizations. One of them is having a firm grasp on reality. So it's not a positive, you know, glass half full or negative glass half empty. It's just there's water in the glass, right? We've got it's it's just a gra- a firm grasp on what's really going on. And if we don't take that time, you know, to kind of something happens and you just kind of think, all right, what's really happening here? To get that firm grasp on reality and really ground yourself in the reality of the situation. 
Well, can that, you that's us, the first step. Can you give us an example of that, maybe where uh, a leader didn't have a grasp on reality and how it impacted the situation negatively? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things is, um, you know, right now there's a, a school of thought around optimism, right? So there's all this sort of positive psychology things out there. And this is not to say that that doesn't have a place either, right? We want, you know, certainly it's much more joyful and pleasant in your life to be optimistic. But when we when we go through life with this rose-colored glasses, right, and we just think that everything is great, it's fine, we're just going to sort of pretend everything's okay, it can be disastrous when the reality is very different. And, I, you know, I think during the pandemic, as I've watched leaders kind of assume that everybody's fine, assume that everybody's, you know, doing well, working at home. Um, they didn't check in, they got busy, but they made a lot of assumptions. Um, that's been really detrimental. Right. I have I didn't have you know, enough have one, are you okay conversations. Right. They that's uh-huh. exactly right. And it's it's funny because I have one really large corporate client where there were two leaders. One of them had now I I would not sure I would have loved this, but they had like mandatory eight o'clock meetings every morning with their team. They were 15 minutes only, but he checked in with everybody, made sure they were okay, found, you know, asked them what questions they had, you know, really took care of just the people side of the team. And another leader, same organization, same level. Um, and these are SVP, you know, one below the C level. And the, you know, the second one just kind of made an assumption that the team was okay. You know, everybody's fine. They're working from home. Everybody's doing their work. Things are good. Well, you know, six months into this, which team do you think really was doing well? And which do you think was about to fall apart? Right. Because, so- because the, it, the, the leader has to get under the surface and ask questions right. around, you know, uh, are you really okay? Is there anything additional that you need? And I think also it comes back to maybe making scheduling time for one-on-ones with people, not just having Absolutely. group meetings. Because sometimes Absolutely. people are reticent to say what they're really experiencing mm-hmm. in front of others. But if you set up oh, a yeah. confidential uh, channel of communication can make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a female leader say to me not long ago that their company was going back to the office. And, you know, I said to her, what what is troubling you the most? Like just personally. And she just I mean, she looked really uncomfortable. And she said, you know what the worst thing is? And I said, what's that? And it's a private conversation. She says, I haven't worn makeup in a year and a half. Like I don't I don't want to put makeup on. I don't want to wear high heels again. I don't want to deal with this. Now, this is a president of a huge organization. And I said to her, great. When you meet with your team, say that. Right. You know, let them know what you're dealing with. And and I bet they'll share more with you. And when she opened up and she was vulnerable, you wouldn't believe what she learned you know, from this team that really was willing more, you know, they were more willing to share because she opened up and, you know, she learned all kinds of things about what they were dealing with. Some of which, you know, they can deal with some of which are just going to be what they are, but at least she can acknowledge, you know, what they're, what they're going through. Because you definitely mentioned that authenticity is critical to resilience. So you have to bring your authentic self to work, including if you're the team leader. That's right. But you bring up a good point. Actually, I was on your website. One of the first things I noticed was this notion of psychological safety. 
you know, and if leaders get, I think you had a comment, like if you get this wrong, nothing else matters. And I think that's the, um, that's a huge piece of resilience because what resilience is in an organization and a team, you know, it's almost, I think of it as a gas tank, right? You've got this tank of energy that people can put into their work. And when things get really tough, you kind of are asking them to go use more gas than they normally do. So you're hoping that they've got some extra in the tank when you need it. But if they don't have any extra, then they go into coping mode and they're really not resilient and they're not able to bring their best self to work. So when you create psychological safety, what you do is you create the environment where people can fill the tank. So there's more in there when you really need it. Now, you, in your book, you've got that the model that combines mindset choices and core beliefs. Can you uh, perhaps explain a little bit about that model, please, Jennifer? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we wrote the, when I wrote the model, what it really was intended to be is if you build these components, it's kind of like a, a personal framework or a team framework, if you apply it to the team, to really be able to build resilience. And so what we find is that resilience is a function of your mindset, your choices, and then underlying all of that is your core beliefs. So mindset is really a lot about how authentic you are, how safe you are to really be yourself and be comfortable. Um, it's about your attitude. And are you consciously choosing your attitude? And are you aware of the filters that you have? You know, we all have filters and how we view the world based on our experiences and beliefs and whatnot. So how good are we at really choosing those filters um, that are appropriate and effective in the situation? Then your choices are really a function of your definition of success. You know, how do you, what, who are you being when you are at your most successful? And then um, the purpose is really not so much your purpose in life, although many people have one and that's certainly, you know, a wonderful thing, but it's really how aware are you of your purpose in a situation. So as you go into a situation, or are you aware of what you want to get out of it? The reason that's important, if you think about a simple situation in, you know, in a management type situation where let's say, you know, we have an employee that's chronically late. So a leader could come into that with several different purposes. One purpose could be, I'm a new leader. I got to lay down the law. These people need to listen to me, right? That's one way to look at that situation. Another way is I'm a new leader. I really want to build a strong relationship and I want this team to feel like I'm in it with them. Those two purposes are going to have vastly different. Um, you're going to go into a situation with vastly different mindsets and probably have vastly different results coming out of that situation. So um, you can imagine, you know, the leader that's saying, well, I'm going to lay down the law, right? They're going to go in, they're going to put rules in place. You know, you know what they're going to do. They're going to be the, the, um, you know, you're going to have a lot of punishment. Yeah, right. But the leader that says, hey, I want the team to really feel like I'm in it with them, I, that I'm, I'm a boss they're going to be able to work with, you know, then I might be asking a lot of questions. I might be saying, hey, you know, what's the problem? Is there a reason you're late? Maybe we can make it up at the end of the day. You know, I might have very different, more collaborative style based on my purpose. So knowing the purpose um, and really being cognizant of that helps you choose your mindset. It's about now, being, treating people with, uh, as if they are humans and with right. compassion and leading with compassion. 
and, uh, you know, just making rules and expecting people to follow, that's such a thing of the past. We want it to be a thing of the past. I hope so. But there may be, I mean, but there may be a time for that, right? There's an example where, you know, the way you go into a situation is going to determine how you act. It's going to determine what you get out of it. Now, the core beliefs piece at the bottom of the framework is there because it's the underbelly of everything. So the reason it's there is because, and this is probably my favorite quote um, in the book, is that when things get tough and you need to stand up, you need to, st- you've got to have something to stand on because it's really hard to stand up when you don't have something solid to stand on. So core beliefs look very different in a corporate you know, setting. That's your mission, your vision, your corporate purpose, your values, whatever. As an individual, for me, those are my faith. That's what do I believe about, you know, how the flowers grow? For me, it's my Christian faith. For somebody, it might be their lucky rabbit's foot doesn't really matter what it is. What's really important, though, is how how true it is for you and how solidly you know what's true for you. And the more you know it to be true, not just believe, but know it to be true for you, the more solid foundation it's going to create so that when things get tough, you're able to stand up, stand on solid ground and know what's there. We were talking about authenticity. And I was intrigued by the Snicker test. Tell us about the Snicker test. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The snicker, the snicker test actually started uh, with a client that had lots and lots of what I call corporate artifacts. So they had these beautiful kind of placemat looking things that they hung in all their conference rooms. And they talked about these values and these core beliefs and they had their mission and their vision and their purpose. I mean, they they had more corporate artifacts than any company I've ever known, but yet um, people didn't take them seriously at all. And so one, one day I was in a meeting and it was a, it was actually a health insurance company. And they were talking about how the member is the customer and the member is always right. And so that was a, one of the things that was on all of these, you know, artifacts. The member is always right. That is so old school. <laughs> The, you know, the member's always right. The, we're going to lead with the member and all of this, right? So I'm sitting in a leadership meeting and somebody had um, requested a very expensive lab test. And what they had done is they just deferred approving it. And they knew this person needed the test and they figured that over time, you know, someday they will um, just pay for it themselves and then we won't have to deal with it. And so they're telling this, they're, they're talking about this, right? So I said, well, what about the member as the customer? And they all started to snicker. And so I, what I did was we were having a leadership meeting not long after that. And so um, I had them get out all of these artifacts and we printed them all off on fancy color printers. And I laid them out all over a big table. And I literally got a bag of Snickers candy bars. And I gave them to the leaders and I said, what I want you to do is put a Snickers bar 
on the artifacts that make you snicker because <laughs> these are the ones that you're not using. And if this really doesn't reflect authentically who you are as a company, can I just can't can I just clarify? An artifact is like a, a piece of marketing collateral, like a brochure or a flyer or a flyer, or maybe it doesn't even go to the customer, but it's something that hangs on the wall in the conference room, you know, with pretty colors that talks about who we are. I mean, so, vision mission, vision, vision mission yes. was a big push in the year 2000 and after that. So yes. maybe these vision mission statements are a little bit old now. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But the funny thing is they had so many of them. And I said, I want you to put the Snickers bar on the ones that make you snicker. And it became a thing. Now we do it. I do it with a lot of clients now. Um, and what it does is it helps them sort out which are the values and the statements that we can make that are really authentic, that we're going to stand behind and we're going to use to make decisions. And which are the ones that we just need to get rid of so that we can really be authentic. And what that does is it creates alignment, like yes. really clear alignment with the leaders and the team below them so that no one's laughing at what's on the wall. And, and when decisions need to be made, they know what to rely on. They know that definition of success. They know that purpose. And that what that means is that when the boss isn't in the room, the decisions are made the right way. You do talk about the importance of alignment. And what are some symptoms of lack of alignment, please? Oh, wow. Um, you know, when, so it's fascinating. You know, when we hear companies talk about, you know, a lot of competition for resources, that's the first clue for me. And that happens in a lot of places where, you know, different functions are vying for, you know, we need our HR system and we need our um, operations um, you know, they want their system, their technology, and then somebody else is fighting for, you know, a different um, investment. And you have these debates at the leadership team where everyone's fighting for their resources and defending their space. And, and, and what's the very us and them, it's like, uh, this is what we want. And then yes. not even considering that maybe the other team has, uh. has equally equally important needs. Right. Yeah. Mm. You know, and we, we also get the other symptom I would say is when we get a call and a, a leadership team will say, well, we need to hash it out. Can you come in and ha help us hash out our issues? We got we to gotta have this, you know, difficult hash out session where everybody just gets their issues on the table. Oh. And, you know, I've been asked to do that. And my answer is usually no, I don't, I don't do that. And what would um, you even call that? Well, that's a vent party. <laughs> it's like a vent, right? Everybody just gets to get all their stuff out. You know, and what I usually tell companies is that, yeah, we can do that, but you're going to be doing it again in another week because you haven't solved the root cause of why people have all this infighting. And the, the infighting is a symptom of the fact that they're not aligned they, you know, and, and even with the resources, they're not aligned on the, the fact it's a really resilient organization collectively will know what the next investment needs to be to drive the strategy the farthest. And if they're not aligned on their investments and where to put their effort, it's going to be really hard to be resilient because you can't be resilient when you're fighting. And you do talk about 
uh, authenticity in terms of honesty and not holding back when you want to express an opinion that um, perhaps, uh, like, you don't want to hold back because you might hurt someone's feelings. It's like Patrick Lencioni, who wrote The Dysfunctions of a Team, he talks about getting away from artificial harmony and mm-hmm. and and not not uh, worrying about fear of conflict. It's speaking right. your truth. And yeah. so you you sort of talk, refer to that in, in your own way. Mm-hmm. Mm. We we do a workshop. Our, our capstone program, believe it or not, is not resilience. That's kind of our second program. But we we started um, the company with with two workshops. This became the third. But the other the big capstone program is called the Influence Workshop, and it is all about how do we drive candor and get these real issues out on the table where they can be solved. Because we can't solve what we're not talking about. Yes. Uh, the book behind me that impressed me is Dalio's um, uh, Principles, Life and Work, and he talks about radical transparency. Absolutely. And it's 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 tough. It's hard to do. But the yeah. thing is, uh, the opposite is, is worse. Absolutely. Oh, yes. We're sort of coming to the end, and I just want to defer to the fact that I thought you were a very good physicist in that when you were looking at... <laughs> resilience and bouncing back you you observed the movement of a bouncing ball tell us about that oh gosh well you know it's it's interesting when you ask somebody what is resilience right 99% of the people will say well it's about bouncing back well that really bothered me because if you just picture you know you bounce a ball it never comes up higher the second time and I what a great like observation. If, you, if you're going to be resilient, we have to figure out how to go higher next. Because, And then what's funny is, you know, I, I got a lot of pushback from my editors and even my co-author, actually. I got a ton of pushback because they didn't, you know, the title is negative and, you know, you can't say that. And so I, I, I really died on my sword on that one. But what's funny is the first CEO that read the book, looked at me and said, of course, it's not about bouncing back because by the time you try to go back, everything's changed. And I thought, okay, I'm on the right track. You are on the right track because the book (laughs) I bought for negotiation after start with yes was start with no. (laughs) It's also a bestseller. (laughs) And if you read, so the reason I stuck to my guns on that is if you go back and look at Harvard Business Review articles that are the most searched and the most downloaded, it's the ones with the counterintuitive titles. That's right. I think you. I think that was genius, uh, Jennifer. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I want to close off with uh, a, one of my favorite quotes that you quote from Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And it, and it goes, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And you do have a model that that has the dichotomy between reacting and pausing and choosing, uh, choosing your behaviour, choosing your mindset and intentional choice. Mm -hmm. So perhaps explain a little bit more about that model, please, Jennifer. Yeah, that's our kind of our, we call that our responsibility model, um, candidly. And, and, you know, that is really about make taking responsibility for the reaction. And what becomes difficult, it's hard to take responsibility for something that you don't think through. So this notion of pausing when something happens, 
stopping and really getting that firm grasp on reality and figuring out what's happening and then being very intentional about your reaction. So we call it pushing the pause button um, is one of the things that separates highly resilient people from those that aren't. Now, the other thing I will say is you can build that muscle. So you can build the muscle to learn how to push the pause button. You can also build the muscle so that when you react, if your purpose and your definition of success are so ingrained in who you are, then your reaction is a lot more likely to to be in tune with those things. So that pause button is just huge in terms of just, we don't have to react right away. I think so many times we think we do, um, but we don't. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that a new leader or someone who's really learning to step into their own as a leader can do. Mm, Wonderful, wonderful. All very good advice. And I refer your book to people because it is a very good read and also uh, a lot of counterintuitive stuff, which is great because you don't want just a bunch of motherhood statements. That's not a firm grasp of reality at all. No, no, not at all. And thank you so much for the support. <laughs> now, um, you're you're in the United States and this podcast goes all around the world. We're in the top 100 in Denmark, Macedonia, Egypt, India Yay. at various times. Um I assume that now, well, now with COVID, we've really cultivated the ability to work remotely all over the world. Yeah. Do you, do you, have you worked remotely with anyone outside of the USA? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Um, I used to say we've operated in like half the 50 states and 11 countries. Since COVID, I think we've been, uh, it's probably more like 20 or 25 countries. What this has enabled us to do, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I have coached Um, I'm coaching primarily at the sea level now. We've kind of, you know, over the years, it's kind of gone up. But I've got business presidents, business leaders in Malaysia, Singapore, Europe um, right now that I'm working with that it has just been. And, you know, what's been absolutely amazing to me, and it's just a, um, a, it reiterates, I think, what I already knew, right? But every time I meet with these people, we're dealing with the same issues everywhere. All over the world, different cultures. We're all humans. That's what's in common. (laughs) That's been absolutely an amazing, you know, lesson that I've learned all over again as a result of the pandemic. I mean, just dealing with some of these things, leaders all over the world dealing with very similar things, and it just brings us closer together. Um, And it works virtually. I mean, we've not missed a beat. Virtual, all our workshops are virtual. All our coaching is now virtual. You know, I used to be on a plane three, four times a week. um, And it's been fantastic to not have to do that, quite frankly. I know. We we took it in our stride at the time, but now we go, phew, I can can work from home. I can work from my studio and uh, get the same result, basically. Right. And it's it's good. We really are. Yeah. And sometimes I get even better results, which is just astounding to me. You're absolutely <laughs> right. I find that too, you know. <laughs> well, but, look, it's been a true pleasure and a joy speaking with you, Jennifer Eggers. And what's the website that people will find you at? Oh, it's um, leadershiftinsights.com. So just know that it's leadership, not ship. Yeah. Yeah, leadershiftinsights.com. Yes. Um, And thank you so much, Nina. This has really been fun. And I I really look forward to uh, 
getting to know you better as well. Oh, wonderful, Jennifer. Yeah, well, across the miles, it's been fabulous meeting you uh, this way and uh, our conversation was fabulous. I trust everybody's enjoying it. So uh, all the best and we'll see you next time. Likewise. Thank you so much. This episode, we've been speaking with Jennifer Eggers on the Manage Self Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.